0: ideas are everywhere welcome to lessons learned in marketing the phoenix group podcast i'm your host david bellarive today my guest is nicholas webb we're going to be talking about his latest book on customer experience what customers crave nicholas webb is an author a futurist ceo inventor and a pretty nice guy enjoy the conversation Thank you very much, Nicholas, for joining me today and, and chatting with me. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: I, um, uh, I People around here are getting a little tired of me uh, because ever since I've, I've read the book, all I've been talking about is the five touch points and how we have to get to improve <laughs> that for both our, ourselves as a business owner and then as a marketer uh, dealing with other clients. Um, so I have a lot of questions and a lot I want to talk to you about, but first, maybe uh, it would be helpful, I guess, if you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how, you, how this book came about.
1: Yeah, so I think this book was the subject of stupidicity, right? <laughs> it was one of these <laughs> things where I started writing a book on innovation. In fact, the, the original name of the book was Node Code. You know, I've spent my career as an innovator. I mean, I have 45 patents. I've been one of the world's smallest medical implants. I provide consulting services to the top brands in the world around innovation. And about three years ago, I was just sort of enamored by the fact that we started to see this sort of uberfication of everything. In other words, it wasn't so much about the bright, shiny objects, it was more about how great brands were starting to leverage. Really thoughtful and surgical innovation methods to invent better human experiences, and so I began. I began the journey to find out, you know, how do these amazing companies do so well and not even advertise? Um, you know, companies like Sierra Nevada uh, leads the craft, you know, beer industry, and yet they don't spend a dime on advertising, and. How does companies like In-N-Out Burger destroy national brands like Burger King and McDonald's that are spending tens of millions of dollars in advertising and Burger King spends zero. And it turned out that one of the new and most exciting areas of innovation is really CX innovation. The way in which we invent beautiful experiences across these five touch points in both digital and non-digital venues But also across a range of what I call nodes or persona types and these customer types, probably one of the most interesting things that I discovered in this three years of researching it. So that's kind of the genesis of the book. It started as an innovation book and turned out to be. Uh, you know, one of the top selling uh, books on customer experience.
0: Well, um, as I've said uh, uh, to everybody here, it's a great book and I encourage everyone to read it. One of the things that um, I guess you start with is is the touch points. And we've now we've heard touch points uh, hundreds of times, but um, what is the problem or what are people not focusing on or focusing on the wrong way?
1: Well, when I looked at some of the best companies, what I discovered is that, you know, large brands you know, customer journey mapping is like corporate crack, you know, it's like the <laughs> new graphic and chart, right? It's, yeah. it's just, you can create these beautiful diagrams, right? And, and because of that, uh, you have the keeper of the journey and I have, there's one of the world's largest corporations that I audited to look at their systems and they had 2200 different customer touch points across the journey. <laughs> and, and, it, it's just ridiculous, right? I mean, how do you do that? So what, what I begin to realize is that if you really, on a practical level, if you're a business and you want to grow your business by 30% almost immediately, how do you do that? How do you do it in a simple, easy-to-understand way? So what I did is I took all of the complexity of customer journey mapping and I broke it into five simple touch points. Now, there are certainly micro moments within these touch points, but there are really only five touch points. And the first one is what I call the pre-touch. And the pre-touch is when people are looking for us and it's what they see. We know that 98% of the time when we're looking to buy something, go somewhere. In fact, Google now calls this micro mobile moments. 98% 98% of the time, we access a connected device to find what we're looking for or to vet a product or company out through influential social networks. And this is where most companies lose about 30% of their revenue because there's there's a really big problem. Number one is they're either not there because they haven't developed a good digital strategy. Or if they are there, they're still using methods in this pre-touch That are very similar to what we were doing back in the you know 17 years ago in 2000 where we thought that the internet was just a way to digitally display our Mm -hmm. brochures Mm -hmm. but today we know we want to lead our industry we want to deliver real customer value at this pre-touch moment we have to deliver tremendous amounts of gratuitous free value and in other words our websites and all of our digital properties need to simply be value dispensers and and the problem with the pre-touch moment is how do we know if people are touching us when they're, you know, not touching us? And and that's where we can use things like social analytics to help a little bit. But at the end of the day, this is where content marketing, this is where delivering really great, valuable content is is just so important. And then there is the first touch. And the ter- first touch is where, what is that first impression like when you walk into a dentist office? And, you know, are you hearing soothing music and pleasant people? Are you hearing somebody screaming and a dentist drill going in the background, right? <laughs> um, these have tremendous impacts on the way in which we see that experience. Um, and then the core touch point is, you know, what is it like to do business with us? It's amazing to me how... Excuse me, how few companies even ask themselves that basic question. How good is it to do business with this? And then there is the last touch point. What do we leave these people with? When I go to Nordstrom's and I go to their shoe department and I buy a pair of shoes, they don't say thanks and throw the bag over the counter. They finish the transaction and they ceremoniously walk around the, can- the, the uh, counter and they hand me The package that I just bought as if I were a samurai and they were delivering my samurai sword to me, right? Mm -hmm. It's just there's it's a moment that I remember it's simple. It's subtle, but it's meaningful to customers And then the last of the five touch points is how do we authentically stay in touch? And this is where a lot of people they try to use CRM tools to try to constantly sell their customers something after they've done business with them But the real opportunity is not to sell them the real opportunity is every time that you reach out to them after you've done business with them is to deliver value to them, to, to build and nurture a relationship that is going to turn them into advocates. Um, and So that's what the five touch points look like. And it's really easy when you break them down into a pre-touch, the first touch, the core touch, the last touch, and the in touch. It makes it uh, manageable. And, and as a result of that. Organizations are applying these principles with tremendous success.
0: It's funny that you say that because when I first um, went through it, I thought, oh, well, this is just too easy. But as uh, I, I looked at it more and more, it's like, well, actually, this is easy enough that you can you can deal with it. As marketers, we always focus on that. Um, the, the pre-touch. I think we're maybe over focused on it and then um, not focused on on those other other moments. when I went, After I read uh, the book, I went uh, as a business owner through our own uh, office and I walked in, as you say to walk in, like a customer, which I've heard a hundred times, but I've never actually done it, and uh, just looked at that experience and um, <clears throat> many things came out. The first was, um, you know, we have uh, uh, Impark Parking here, which is a company that... Um, charges for like they manage our parking space it's a shared parking space and they're i don't know how to say this in a positive way they're very good at what they do so they um have have uh, enormous ability to catch you if you have not paid your parking and uh, it was simple enough to just say well why are we letting our customers leave with parking tickets when we could just Pay that for them. It's it's super easy. They have an app. The receptionist can just ask for their license plate and avoid that later moment or that moment of negativity of uh, leaving here and having a parking ticket or even the hassle of finding the change. How do? How, yeah. A, a, a lot of what you talk about is this, and it's probably your background as an inventor is is trying to invent and think of ways that you can improve these touch points. How do you how do you coach businesses to do that?
1: Well, unfortunately, you know, a lot of organizations, at least in my practice, we've turned into the customer experience and innovation hazmat team, right? So unfortunately, I don't get the opportunity as often as, as I would like to be able to start from the genesis of an initiative where we can build this out correctly. But the good news is, is I've been able to sift through the wreckage of bad initiatives to see just how they went wrong. And so the one things that we do, you know, in our practice at What Customers Crave is that we actually will get, go in and do a innovation readiness assessment. You know, do they have the people? Do they have the training? Do they have the infrastructure? Do they have the technologies? Do they have this, the, the, the will to be able to serve people in a way? Because, you know, this is there's a spiritual component to wanting to serve others. And I know that sounds corny, but, you know, organizations that are profit-centric and that are just about them, 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 I mean, how many people in your life have you ever met that were completely self-centered that you've really liked? Uh, (laughs) Zero, right? And that's how we fill companies. So the first thing that I do is we do a readiness assessment. We give them a set of scorecards, about 50 to 60 scorecards. And from there, we can have an adult conversation with their leadership about what they have and what they don't have. It's the best way to describe it. It's like going into a doctor and getting a really good uh, Workup before they start doling out pills. If you walked into a doctor's office and they said, "Hey, how are you?" and prescribed you Lipitor, you would be justifiably concerned um, because you know the medicine has side effects and what is the evidentiary support to suggest I need it in the first place? So, we like to start with an assessment, and then from there we build out a really easy to understand uh, roadmap that that uh, uses a range of tools that drive engagement. You know, customer experience and innovation, for that matter, it's a a people-powered process. And it requires that you really, really focus on the branding of the initiative so that all of your team members know that you mean it and that the game of innovation and CX is something that they can play and win at. So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to it. But when you look at the impact, which is incredible to an organization – it is the least expensive way to drive growth. In fact, some studies are now suggesting that as much as 80% of the Fortune 2000 companies are using customer experience as their primary marketing and growth strategy. Mm-hmm. And when you think about the size of a marketing toolbox, for an organization to, to pluck out of their CX as their number one way in which they're going to drive growth – that I think really says a lot about why people should pay attention to customer experience today in a connected economy.
0: Mm-hmm. So, in in if if we are all uh, sort of in that spiritual zone, or we we do like and want to help each other, and that's uh, part of our DNA. What's holding people back, or what? Where do companies, or where do people within companies, find those roadblocks of not being able to deliver a great customer experience?
1: Well, I, you know, I'll, it's it, this seems arcane, but what I have found in my world is that a lot of the executives especially older executives they are hanging on to a legacy uh, business model that is authoritarian and non-collaborative mm-hmm. right in the old days it was like you got the and i actually have a client like this and it's almost surreal where i have to get you know there's a a special card that takes you up to the 32nd floor of their building and only you know the top executives get to go there and then there is a central receptionist and then you go to the executive's assistant and you wait in that area and they are essentially royalty and everyone else is the minions and they don't understand collaboration and they don't you know they have a hierarchical layered business so one of the biggest problems is, is that these executives are hanging on with a death grip to because it was it's great to be king, I guess. Right. <laughs> and but meanwhile, we're trying to hire millennials and, and we're trying to hire people that have a different worldview. They see they want to be part of a meaningful purpose. If you take a look at the great grocery store chain, Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's is a great organization because they treat their people really really well and they collaborate and engage with not just their stakeholders but also their customers. It's a very collaborative sandbox and you know you have a, a very collapsed hierarchy. So the reason that most organizations are doing this is that they don't realize that they are participating not in an authoritarian economy but one that is a sharing connected economy. That's the biggest toggle switch that organizations have to flip in order to enter in the opportunities that lay before them. Uh, and that is the philosophy of saying, Hey, you know what? We need to be more collaborative. We need to, to flatten our organization. We need to be in a situation where we get ain- insights uh, from customer f- facing stakeholders. We need to have internal social networks that allow people to, to collaborate around uh, challenges Um, And again, most of this is from older companies that um, are focusing on profit and not focusing on serving. But ironically, uh, profitability is a derivative of having CX as your primary focus.
0: Yeah, you talk about that and how um, what a large part of any kind of profitability is that employee satisfaction. It must be really difficult for these companies to try to flip that switch. I mean, that's that's a big boat that you've
1: got to turn around. And many of them are being displaced. I mean, take a look at Macy's that are closing tons of stores. Look at the impending death of Sears. Look at the impending death of J.C. Penney's. Uh, Look what happened to Radio Shack. Mm -hmm. Look at what happened to to Blockbuster. Um, I could give you a list of uh, many, many more. They were all the subject of disruptive innovation. And that disruptive innovation was fueled by new and better ways to serve customers. You know, when you think about Uber, so many people talk about Uber, but they're missing the key point about Uber. Uber destroyed the cab industry not by inventing a new taxi cab. They invented a new human experience that leveraged digital ubiquity and social connectivity, right? I mean, you can look at social ratings just like you do at Amazon. You always know what your experience is going to be like in an Uber car. Uh, You also always know what your experience is going to be like in a New York cab. Bad, (laughs) right? So that's that's what's happening is we see disruptive innovators. They're not destroying the bright, shiny object, the physical thing. They're destroying the model. We have, we have companies like Lemonade that are going after, you know, the insurance industry by building out peer P2P solutions. You know, the other thing that was interesting for me is if I look on things like Glassdoor Ratings, which is a website that rates uh, how much employees like working for a company, almost always there was a direct corollary between how much the employees loved working at the company and the high level of quality service that they delivered to the customer. Um, So it turns out that organizations that are willing to make this shift, there's tremendous benefits. It becomes holistic. You get happier customers. You have happier stakeholders. You have higher levels of productivity. You have significantly higher levels of profitability. You have greater levels of new innovations. You have better market insights. And the list goes on and on. So when we can really make CX part of our enterprise DNA, the benefits to the organization are significant. The problem is, is that older executives, in particular, are really, really struggling with the idea that they have to let go of their death grip on authoritative control.
0: One thing uh, we see in branding quite a bit is. Um that, you know, a, a, a company starts with a purpose and then over time different um, initiatives or they're looking at what other people are doing and everything starts to, they try new things and everything starts to obscure sort of that purpose of what they were doing. And I was really intrigued and excited to see you kind of um, talk about the same thing with customer experience and that, I don't know what the, whether this is what where you start, but it's certainly a big part of what you need to do is framing up and looking at why are you in business? Uh, what... And, and that often, I guess, would turn people back to the customer, would it?
1: Uh, absolutely. You know, and it's, uh, as you may recall from the book, I talk about the difference of just something as simple as mission statements. You look at organizations that have mission statements like, um, you know, I think it was uh, Facebook's mission statement is something akin to, you know, making the world a more connected place, right? Mm-hmm. And they have a very easy to understand and elegant and beautiful mission that was not about them. It was about how they're going to, as Steve Jobs would say, make a ding in the universe. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the mission statements of Google and the list, mission statements of, of Apple and you look at the mission statements of Facebook and, and the list goes on and on, you see these beautiful mission statements of why they exist. And they never have anything to do with them. It's all about their greater good. When you look at mission statements of crappy companies, and I do a lot of that in my management consulting companies, you know, I see things like, you know, amalgamated corporations' commitment is to drive the highest returns of stake uh, of uh, stockholder profitability while driving one of the prop- most profitable enterprises in the you know widget industry. Right? And it's just like ugh, you know, you know, it's just that's so bad. Uh, but yeah, to your point, it, we have to start with missions that matter, and then we have to realize that. All of the success across our business is people powered and that when we can collaborate and co-create, especially with problem opportunity and customer facing employees, it's it's just a a really beautiful thing. You know, there's a there's a there's a TV show on called Undercover Boss. Have you ever seen that?
0: Uh, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs)
1: So Undercover Boss is interesting. I don't know if you remember the uh, episode where uh, the CEO of this fast food chain, um, you know, puts on a wig and, and glasses and puts on a fake beard and uh, he, he comes in uh, pretending to be uh, a trainee and he's working at the counter and he all of a sudden has this epiphany and he realizes that, wow, we do a lot of really stupid things to to really spank our customers every <laughs> single day and, oh, yeah. Our employees are treated like garbage, and then at the end of the show, you know, he's crying and he's throwing money at this stakeholder, saying, here's some money to <laughs> educate." You know, oh wait, that's every episode. Every episode's the same. Yeah, I mean, there's like 200 episodes. Every one of them is the CEO gets out of the white ivory tower and goes down to the front counter and realizes that. They are delivering not just bad experiences to customers, but to the people that work there. And that's what I like to talk about in in, in my messaging and, and, and what I wrote about in the book is you know, why does it have to, why, why are we using, you know, complex CRM methodologies and data analytics? Let's get out of our corner offices and let's see what it's like to work for us and see what it's like to be served by us. Because from there, we can leverage that contact point innovation to invent beautiful new experiences that really drive a happy customer that will become advocates instead of madvocates, which many customers become.
0: get out of your chair, yeah, I love that in your book. Uh, and it, it's not even it's not that hard to do actually to just get out and and walk around. Yeah, you don't have to be on undercover, boss. Um, another thing that um, <laughs> I was intrigued by was the price value component that you talk about, and you know, uh, sort of what we expect really is it relates to uh, what we will pay or what we pay. How do we know if how does a company know if they're if they're not hitting that if there is a gap there? How do you assess that.
1: Well, I think the best way to do that is that first of all, I think it's important to realize that people across all personas uh, and and again, I spent a lot of time talking about how to identify these customer personas. But across a range of personas, there they all have a different baseline level of expectation. And um, the, so we have to begin by understanding what they expect. And and you know, a, the best way to do that is spending time With uh, uh, customer-facing stakeholders that see the the response and reaction and pushback from pricing and and um, and we can do some traditional price sensitivity analysis, but oftentimes there's a little more you know there's a little bit more heavy lifting to understand by doing customer focus sessions by spending time you know at you know observing that. I think that you know that we have to be careful though about just leaning on analytics to find out what that price value sensitivity is. I'll give you the perfect example. I, I just got back from uh, from an event in uh, in Chicago and DC last week, mm-hmm. and uh, I always because I fly American Airlines, I always travel through Dallas, and every time I go through Dallas, I see these amazing kiosks in the bathroom there, and it's about the size of an iPad on the wall, and it's a digital. Platform and there's a smiley face and there's a there's a frowny face and it says how would you rate your bathroom experience? <laughs> now um, at first value at first blush you may think well that's that's pretty interesting. Well it has a lot of problems because all you have to do is go to the bathroom in a Dallas um, <laughs> you know restroom. It's like a pool of urine. <laughs> I mean mm-hmm. really it's like how about not asking that question? And how about knowing the answer? You, you should know that what they want is a clean bathroom. You should know what they want is towels in the towel dispenser, right? Why are you asking them that question? And then if they say they love it, when do they love it and why do they love it? If they say they hated it, why did they hate it and why did they love it, right? Yeah. So I think that in order to understand price value, we have to be less lame about the way in which we glean <laughs> insights, um and 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 not only that, you know, when I travel, I have one simple mission, never touch anything in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> so why do they think they're going to get people to do that, right? Uh and I noticed last week, uh they actually on one of the restrooms they're now starting to just turn them off. They've given up. But this is emblematic of the methods that we use to gain insights. What we really should be, you know, Steve Jobs never had to go and understand price value equations. He never needed to understand that. His his point was really simple. I'm going to identify layered and dynamic value, layered meaning it's far more than what the customer expected, and dynamic meaning that it's always going to get better, and I'm going to deliver that, and I'm going to show the customer what they really need. And I think when we get to the point where we understand our marketplace and our customer personas that well – uh, then we can make it really, really easy to fi- to figure out those price value, um, and you start to see hotels doing that. I'm going to be staying in a few weeks at the at the Four Seasons in Scottsdale. Um, you would expect that to be a four hundred five hundred dollar uh, hotel room, and there it's 180. Mm. One of the be- most beautiful properties in a very upscale area. Um, there they are delivering. Uh, value based on uh, they for $180. I mean, there are places where the Hampton Inn costs you know north of $100. So you know what I mean. When, when we can start to realize where we live in terms of what we're delivering, and how we can deliver that five-star experience for a for, for a three-star cost that's when we're really driving CX innovation and that's what we should always be looking to do.
0: It's funny, um, I find that really insightful, that whole uh, trying to survey someone on the way out of the bathroom. We're, we're really good at overthinking things and trying to, you know, really, oh, we could give a great customer experience, let's ask them how it was, but really, you, you, like you say, it's pretty clear um, what it is people expect when they go into a washroom. How did we get into this mess? It seems, it's, it's, that's actually a really great story. Um, the, um,
1: well, and it's, it's getting worse too. The more the data that we can get, the more data we get. And uh, I just did a project for a, a large hospital system that spent $7 million on getting patient satisfaction data. And that data turned into three ring binders in the basement. It yeah. was never turned into any actionable innovations. Uh, which is probably good because the data was all wrong. Yeah. Because the only people that answer surveys are people who love us and people who hate us. But the real insights are people who don't really care to tell us what they think. You know, they have an opinion, but they're not. They're, there are there's only twenty percent of our customers that care to fill out surveys, and they probably are not the most interesting people. They probably have way too much time on their hand. I want to <laughs> I want to talk to those eighty percentile that. Uh, folks that i mean here's something that you might find interesting i just bought my wife a luxury car a couple couple months ago and about every two weeks from one of the largest data it's consumer survey companies in the world i won't mention their name but they're one of the largest in the world and they send me a notice saying hey uh nicholas thank you for buying this super expensive uh, car what did you think of the experience i throw it away Mm -hmm. and then um And then I started to notice as I was tearing it up these last two times, they put a dollar bill in there. (laughs) Now, for somebody going to buy a $70,000 to $80,000 car, is it a good idea based on their ideas about social reciprocity that they should put a dollar bill in there? It's almost – that's almost an insult, yeah,
0: right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's it, it should have sent me an invoice. It would have been better than giving me a dollar. But my, my point is, is that we're doing stuff that was created back in the 50s to get insights, and it's just not working.
0: The funny thing is, too, and and uh, that that point reiterates this as well, is that it, none of this is, is really that difficult. There's a great um, – I, I use as an example often um, this video online from simple.com, and it's a customer who just is doing a video review review or they're, they're so ecstatic about their service. And all it is, is she really, uh, had a debit card that her dog got, uh, ate a couple times and simple sent her a replacement debit card, uh, and a handwritten note and a dog chew toy along with it as, as, a a little, (laughs) (laughs) and she's almost, she's almost in tears that they have written this note that they've thought about her and that they've, uh, sent this replacement card. And I think, wow, we can all do this stuff.
1: What um, Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, but again, that's why it has to start from the top. You have to this has to really matter because the the ability to to grow your business in an, in an unbelievably fast way and to protect yourself against disruptive innovators, CX is the secret weapon and ironically, so few people are, are willing to lean into this.
0: What lessons have you learned in, in the last uh, or recently that you uh, will carry forward?
1: I think that, uh, you know, the big lessons that uh, that I've learned from this whole experience is that you cannot McDonaldize the process of delivering exquisite value to customers. You can't make this a, a cookie cutter CRM technology solution. Every time that I have done, and because we have the benefit of mopping up after so many failed initiatives, what we found is two things are the most important lessons out of customer experience. Number one, you have to do this completely. You have to develop you have to develop CX as a core competency, meaning that the people that work there need to understand this body of work. We're not born CX experts. You have to develop the systems and the methods and the tools to create the life support system. But what I found is the overwhelming majority of organizations see this as a short-term initiative. Really, the better way to say it is they see it as a bumper sticker. Um, and if you make this a bumper sticker, you're going to lose a lot of great talent because your employees want to be part of uh, a meaningful mission to serve people. The second thing I've found is that there is no cookie cutter solution for customer experience. It really has to be customized to the uniqueness of your market, your customers, and most importantly, the culture of your business. So I think the biggest takeaways and lessons for me is that you got to do this completely. It's fun and interesting and extremely profitable. And you have to do it in a way that's customized for the uniqueness of your business.
0: Thank you very much, Nicholas. And again, the book is What Customers Crave, How to Create Relevant and Memorable Experiences at Every Touchpoint. I'm going to um, Brand Manage Camp in Vegas in late September. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing you talk there. How can people get a hold of you or connect with you?
1: Uh, You can go to our website, which is... Not surprisingly, whatcustomerscrave.com And uh, you can also download a free chapter of the book at whatcustomerscrave.com It gives you a chance to take a look at it and see if it's something that, uh, that you would enjoy. Uh, it's also available in audio on iTunes. They hired a great voice actor for the audio version. That's kind of how I ingest books these days. And so it's, uh, uh, it's in Kindle and all the other book formats. And if somebody would like to reach out to me personally, they can always just email me at nick at
0: Thank you again very much. I really, uh, really appreciate and enjoy the book. And uh, look again, looking forward to hearing you in September.
1: Thanks, David. I really appreciate it.
0: That's our show for this week. Thank you very much for listening to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. Join me again next week. And remember, you can subscribe to Lessons Learned on Marketing through Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. Talk to you next week.